Have you ever been away from your home for long enough that when you return, you look at it with fresh eyes, free from the biases and the expectations that previously had been automatic? What about your country? Have you ever been far enough away that when you look back, back at your country, the country you call home, you see things about the way it works, about what it values, things that you might not have seen before? Well, this week, I dive right into the latter scenario with my exquisite return guest, Flex Mummy. She's a best-selling author, TV presenter, podcaster, DJ, social commentator, speaker, model, founder, CEO, and the hosts of Flex and Frooms. Uh, the afternoon shift on cater.com.au between three and five every afternoon. It's a cracking chat. I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, some ads. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I feel like when people look, think about displacement or racism or slavery or the stolen generation, they think of it like it's a movie. Like, oh, no, kids were just taken. Oh, no, people were just shackled. Babes! What are you talking about? There were human zoos. People were taught, like, I don't understand what you don't understand. And it becomes a really frustrating conversation because we, it's like a stalemate every single time. And you don't want to be the person who is pushing guilt like it's a little treat. Like, here, feel something, feel something, feel something. But it does make me concerned about what capacity we have to actually push the dial forward in a way that's going to incite real change. That is the stunning Flex Mommy. And this is Osher Ginsburg, Better Than Yesterday. Better than yesterday. 
Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for being here. This is Better Than Yesterday. A podcast is here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. Something you hear on this show and indeed every show is guaranteed to make that happen. Since 2013, we've been doing that three times a week. I'm here, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays, Wednesdays with a guest, and Fridays, I'm here with you. I am Osha Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV show host. I'm a live, on-stage, comedy, news show presenter, <laughs> uh, and I'm uh, using a noisy foot switch to control my auto cue, which I'm just testing because I'm reading some notes here, and so... If you hear that noise, that's me turning my autocue on and off because I'm just trying to figure out a way that I can do the show on Friday with no hands touching a thing. Anyway, and I'm here three times a week. And thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you being here. If you want to get in touch with me, just there's a, a link to the mailing list right there in the show notes. Just get upon that. And that's also where you can get tickets for the shows. Friday night, we are doing a factory theater again. There's only two shows left. So Friday night, we're doing it. And then Melbourne International Comedy Festival tickets are on sale right now. Amazing. The special guests I'm lining up are pretty sick. I'm very excited. And something's to be said about the kind of project I'm working on here, because when I call people up and I'm talking, like I tweet someone that I've never really spoken to outside of a, hey, at a Logie's once and saying, hey, you know, I've got this thing in Melbourne and I'm wondering, and I'm talking like God or goddess of Australian television news. And they're like, fuck yeah, I'm in. And that's very exciting for me. So yeah, get your tickets, special guests every show, as much as I can hope for special guests every show. And um, yeah, tickets are in the show notes if you want to get amongst it. It'd be great to be there. I'd love to have you. It's really, really fun. If you scroll back on uh, the last couple of Friday episodes, I've I've put some uh, shows up and you will be able to hear what it's about. So yeah, thanks very much for those who did come. It was pretty fun. And um, there really are only two shows left. I'm not John Farnham here. There really are only two shows left in Sydney at the factory theater. It's terrifying. It's lots of fun. I spoke about how terrifying it is on Friday's show. If you wanted to get into that, let me tell you about my guest today. Flex Mummy is a best-selling author. She's a podcaster, presenter, DJ, speaker, model, founder, CEO, currently hosting the afternoon shift Flex and Frooms 3 to 5 p.m. every afternoon on cater.com.au. Recently, she was a guest on the show with Nat's What I Reckon, an episode I, I thoroughly encourage you to check out. It's the one that we did live at Meta in Sydney. But the conversation we have today is very different, very different to that and also what I initially thought we were going to chat about. I went into this conversation expecting it to be very different, expecting to explore very different subject matter altogether. And yet the connection that Flex and I found on what we talked about was just firing. That is the direction that we went and it ended up being extraordinary. I won't say too much more, just that Flex is the best. That's it. If you like what you hear, please dive into her work. She's a very important voice, a highly visible and quite stunning human. And uh, her voice is a very important and quite a brilliant part of the sound that our country makes when it speaks. Enjoy this chat with Flex Mummy. I'm so happy to see you and thank you for coming on in this capacity. Um, For people who listened recently, they would have heard you and I and and Nat um, on stage at Meta. We did a live gig at Meta, which was one of the more interesting gigs that I've done. (laughs) <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. It was super cool. It was it was super cool. It's interesting dealing with a colossal behemoth of, you know, uh, a 
risk-averse social media publisher. Um, there we go. That's one way to phrase it. Yeah. It was, there was a lot of meetings in and out of that one. Yeah, I could I imagine. Oh, boy. It was kind of interesting because yeah, they are gargantuan, you know. They are essentially, they're approaching utility. If they're not at utility already, they are almost at utility. And things in our community that are classified as utilities like power or water or telephones or roads, we have laws around access and usage and protection mechanisms set up around them. Absolutely. And though they do play that role in our community, they, oh, no, 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 no. It's the people that write the stuff. It's not us. <laughs> we, are, that, we are but a medium. We are but a conduit and a vessel. We're not responsible for what gets written. We just platform hard, it. That, that was a bit hard for me. <laughs> that was a bit hard. <laughs> and uh, and it, made, it made them quite worried. Uh, um, actually like right before, cause we'd agreed with that. I mean, and look, I don't give a shit. I'll say this stuff now. We'd agreed to do the show and that invited me on. And like the week before I aired the interview that I've done with Todd Sampson, yeah. where he uncovered everything for Mirror Mirror. And they were just really worried that I was going to cut loose. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push the boat away from the dock and then drill a hole in the floor. No, no. I understand but where I am. I would say we're more cowboys than corporate, so I understand this here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but also I'm not. I think my days of you know wanting to destroy things for the sake of destroying them and to make a spectacle they're behind me. But you know, I did in the meetings that we had leading up to it. I was fairly vocal about this kind of stuff, and it became evident that okay, we're just not going to be able to go anywhere near that. <laughs> yeah, know? but I guess you know sometimes you know this is kind of interesting to take, get your take on it. I felt it was more valuable to go in and engage. I felt it was more valuable to go in and have conversations and at least create dialogue than boycott. Or, Absolutely. You know, essentially cancel. Because I don't think that really gets us anywhere. No. There are definitely some environments, some topics where I will take the high road because I'm personally not a martyr. <laughs> but when I can stand in my power and make sure that I can lead a conversation that I think is worthwhile, I'm going to do it. If there are some parameters, so be it. Parameters exist for a reason. I can respect that. On the day when we spoke, it, it really seemed to me that you were in this present moment because we were speaking about, I guess, keeping yourself safe as a content creator. Uh, yeah. The room was full of some fairly high-profile people who wait, make way more money than me. Uh, <laughs> I was looking down to the front row going, holy fuck, like you're here and you make squillions of dollars holding up stuff with offer codes. <laughs> and uh, I have no idea how – I'm such an old man now. I'm like, I have no idea how that works. I don't understand how it's happening that, you know, my – traditional broadcast medium lunch is being eaten alive and I don't understand even how it's working. You know, it was, uh, but we were talking about um, keeping yourself safe as a content creator and the balance between the integrity and authenticity that you're prepared to share to get that authentic connection where people then trust enough to essentially engage with the con the products you're um, sponsored by and keeping yourself safe. And you spoke on the day definitely as in, I am now in a space that is very different to how I used to be. And Absolutely. I'm, I'm kind of interested into what life was like for you 
before that? Because when you, when I first started becoming aware of you, you were moving with such a ferocious momentum. It was impossible to ignore. And there's something quite seductive about eating that feedback because it's tasty, you know? <laughs> Scrumptious. Isn't it? <laughs> But it's also Moorish. It's an insatiable beast. And at one point you think you're feeding on something external to you when in reality you're eating away at yourself. Uh, And I found that when I got into this industry, you know, media personality, influencer, content creation broadly, I didn't understand the exchange that was happening. You know, when they say, if something's free, you are the product. And I thought, I wasn't the product. I thought I was the I was the pusher, you know, when in actuality I was the product and I was allowing consumption with no guideline. And wow. I didn't necessarily realize that people weren't selling themselves in exchange for validation, in exchange for the opportunity to sell stuff. I thought we were coming on here and being really earnest and um, transactional in its most superficial form. Come to find out, a lot of people who do the job in a smart way are caricatures of themselves because they understand that it requires a level of safety that I hadn't considered for myself because, you know, up until maybe two years ago, I didn't even really consider what I was doing to be running a business. I thought I was getting paid to be myself. And without that distinction, I couldn't put safeguards in place to ensure that I was working in a safe environment in the same way you would if you had an office and staff. You would have to think critically, where am I inviting you to? Is this fit for purpose? Are there electrical wires hanging out? Can you safely access drinking water? I wasn't allowing myself that same consideration. I felt bulletproof. I was like, this is sick. I've cracked the code. And it definitely got to a point Um, where I felt like I reached maximum saturation in terms of the opportunities I had access to. When somebody is paying you five figures to, as you say, hold up a product and tell somebody about it, who can tell you otherwise? Mm. I, I feel like this is it. Let me just keep on doing this. And eventually I'll reach some sort of nirvana state where I can pair back and like figure out, you know, what is the purpose? What is my journey? But when it got to that point, I was like, wait a second, what are we doing? And I remember looking at myself from the lens of my consumer or my audience or the followers or whatever, because I just felt as though I was getting further and further away from the goal, which is getting paid to be myself. Because some yeah. suddenly someone is dictating what I should say, when I should say it, how I should say it from a brand perspective and from a consumer perspective they're dictating who I should be for them because in some way the individual has assumed that they are now integral to my success. They don't see themselves as a body. They don't see themselves as the follower, as the audience. It's that individual parasocial relationship. I now feel entitled to your success. Therefore, do what I say when I say in the way that I want you to do it or else. And I had never felt unsafe like I did in that moment. The concept of safety, I don't think I thought of until about two years ago when I was like, you guys wouldn't care if fundamentally I dropped dead. Your life would continue. You'd find somebody else to fill my place and it would be fine. 
I am a character in your phone that you pick up when you feel like you want some entertainment, some validation, some excitement, and you put it down and you go on with your life. There's no putting it down because I put everything into this. I can't run away from myself because if I run away from myself personally, my professional life is myself. And so it was that moment I was like, I need to start making some distinctions because I want to feel safe again. I want to feel like this machine or this beast that I created is one that I can tame. And I want to feel like this thing is working for me as opposed to me working for it. I don't work for Meta. I don't work for TikTok. So why am I acting as though I have, you know, these like golden shackles where I now must abide by the laws of how they want me to act and how strangers want me to act? I want to be a cowboy. But I want to be a safe, protected cowboy and I want to feel obligated to myself like I felt obligated to the algorithm, to um, clout as a concept. It's so fascinating hearing you speak about um, understanding that people create a version of themselves to exist online. And I, I did not understand that. You know, when I was at Channel V, for example, I was absolutely myself on camera. You know, I'm mm. a person who is fucking, I'm as excited about a pop hook in, uh, you know, an Avril Lavigne song as I am about some sort of desperately dangerous Slayer track about the Holocaust. And and that is what I got to do every day. And I was just raw, raw open, you know, fiber optic data nothing but and the exchange was just back and forth as quick as possible and what people would do is because because i was being so real essentially uh you mentioned parasocial relationships Uh, i found when i met people out and about because i was at festivals all the time or gigs all the time i would meet people all the time and they would they would call my name as if they knew me and i would turn around like i must know this person they i didn't know them but they felt so familiar with me that they could speak with the tone of their voice that says somebody knows me and I knew something was up when people taller than me would say, oh, man, I didn't know you'd be so short. Or people shorter than me were like, I didn't know you'd be so tall. They ascribed these things to me that they had created in their heads. And if I betrayed them, I it was like the most awful thing I could have ever done. And I couldn't understand it. And it was only later, it was only later once I got, essentially once I got sober that I realized that, oh, this is a product and I need to keep parts of it away. And anything that people say back to this thing that they see actually doesn't matter because that is a, they are reacting to an invention of me in their head. <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's an odd thing to reconcile with because it's not relatable even in the slightest. I don't think people can conceptualize the kind of responsibility and obligation you feel to honor the connections people have with you but you don't have with them it doesn't make sense in any other context you know and I used to seek a lot of understanding uh from my audience I used to try and explain how odd what we were doing was but there's something about putting up a mirror to someone who doesn't recognize themselves it wasn't helpful I was almost (laughs) telling them who they were and they were like I don't like that And I was like, same, I don't like it either. Stop doing it to me. Um, But also, like I said before, it's an insatiable beast because let's say I finally find the verbiage to express exactly how I feel in this time, in this moment. 
It's going to a portion of my audience. And what if someone new follows me tomorrow and the next week and the next week? I can't keep repeating the same conversations. And so I remember I was journaling about it at the time and a quote came up that I had read prior that says, you can't heal in the same place you're hurting. And so what I was trying to do is I was trying to be in denial about the reality of this space that I created on social And I think I was shirking responsibility for where I was complicit. You know, I made this community. I set this standard. And then all of a sudden, when I wasn't comfortable, I was, you know, externalizing the blame. And so I just felt like if I'm going to stay here, if the superficial part of me who, quote unquote, doesn't want to go and do a real job, then these are just the cons of the career path I've chosen. And we keep it pushing. (laughs) You have just come back from Ghana. Yeah. I've just been out of Australia for the first time in a couple of years. I'm sure it was the first trip for you for a couple of years. I know that when I leave Australia, I get a perspective on my own country. Even though I'm surrounded by it every day, I and I try to be present to the privilege and, you know, challenges that our country has. What was it like for you to, to be in Ghana and stand in Ghana and look back at Australia? Yeah. As soon as borders opened last year uh, in February, I ran out of here. I went straight to Ghana then as well. And so I did the same thing this year. And it's fascinating because ethnically I'm Ghanaian, but I was born in Australia. So a lot of the context that I have for where I'm from is through the lens of my mum, right? She tells me who I am by telling me stories about where I'm from. And so going there as an adult and creating that context for myself is fascinating because a lot of it contradicts just Australia generally. I I would say there's so much about Ghana that would give people just a heart attack. It is the wild, wild west, but also in such a beautiful way, it's just the epitome of flow state. I would say, you know, for example, people people often say that Australian culture is quite casual. It's quite relaxed. It's quite chill. I'm like, I don't really think that's what we're doing here. I think there's... We're all fucking uppity motherfuckers. The light's green. Why are you not going like now? I'm like, I don't really feel like it's it's giving casual. I actually think it's quite uptight. It's quite traditional. In a lot of ways, it's quite conservative. (laughs) And so... You know, you, you when I was in Ghana, I was there for four weeks and I was I when oh. I was there, there was this saying that would keep me, I guess, not freaking out. And that was you can only do one thing a day here because that is actually a casual place to be. When you go to a restaurant and you look at the menu and you order food, the waitress will tell you, mm, the chef doesn't feel like cooking that today. So pick something else. That is casual. You know, when you get into a car or a taxi and you ask them what the price is, they might say, we'll see when we get there. When you ask them how long it'll take, they say, with God's grace, let's just see when we arrive. Like, this is casual culture. I've been also trying to practice speaking like my native tongue, which is tree. And when I was there, I was finding that, you know, it's hard to process in English and then speak another language and then listen to someone speaking a different language and processing it back. But what I was realizing is, you know, language really does perfectly encapsulate your view on the world. The way that we speak in Australia is very 
ego focus. It's I want to do this. This thing is in relation to me. This popper is to the left of me. This laptop is in front of me. Everything is in relation to me. But when you speak in tree, you know, you are in relation to the things around you that are permanent. You are in relation to north. You are in relation to the ground. It's very odd. And also, the language is so passive, so indirect, which becomes a reflection of how people speak to you there, so passive and so indirectly. I remember I was, we got stopped by, um, soldiers as we were driving down the road and they're always just popping up on their own accord to scam people of money. It's quite chill behavior. But when we got to one of these traffic stops, instead of this guy just saying, you know, like, I'm going to scam you for money or whatever. (laughs) He was just like, can you give me something small, like some, like some cafeteria money? We were like, what do you mean? Do you want a gift or are we being, are we being, (laughs) Like, are you trying to take money from us? This is a shakedown. What is it? Yeah, what is actually happening? Because here? I felt like he was being kind and cordial and funny and humorous. And he was like, oh, just something small for the boys. You know how it is. I don't know how it is. I'm so confused. And the more directly you speak, the more indirect the yeah. response you get in return. And I was thinking, you know, uh-huh. like, the best thing I can do here is just be part of the flow state and assimilate in a way that doesn't, Um, frustrate me because the Australian in me was like, I need to know what time, what place, what date, what does that mean? Why does it mean that? And they were like, just vibe, babe. (laughs) Just vibe. God will sort it out. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Is there a way that you could describe this indirect kind of language uh, f- using English in a situation that we might experience in Australia, like a way that we might be able to start. I'll give you an example. Uh, at Wolfie's first school, it was a Montessori school, and if he, you know, nudged something and the cup fell over, I got taught when I was a kid and I grew up with, like, you've spilled the drink. The Montessori thing is like, oh, there's our spill. Let's clean it up. And the, there's a vast difference. A vast difference. You know, it still gets cleaned up. Um, and it's like, oh, there's a spill. All right. Being careful around glasses and cups is important because spills can be a problem. Let's clean it up versus you have done a bad, like the language in itself has, you know, just fucking Catholic blame all over Protestant shame all over it, you know. It's kind of weird. So I'm just wondering, is there an example in, uh, in Tree that you could you could roughly give us? Yeah. So I feel like the best way I can explain it is let's say you are going to a restaurant and you have uh, ordered food and it's time to get the bill. You would assume it's as simple as being like, okay, we're done eating. I would like to get the bill. So you call somebody over and the first thing they would say is, you know, instead of like, okay, here is the bill it becomes almost like an indirect story. You know, they would start saying, oh, how blessed I am that God has brought such generous people here to the restaurant today. And, you know, on a different day, maybe you wouldn't have come here, but I can tell you are generous people. Um, and so, you know, when I bring the bill to you, just remember that, you know, you're you're not just here to bless yourself. God's given you access to money so you can bless others. He's asking for what? a tip. 
Yeah, right. It's like it becomes this indirect poetic conversation where you're like, okay, if if you didn't know what was happening, if you couldn't read between the lines, you'd be like, oh, this is such a nice guy. He's so sweet. That's just how he's going to ask for a tip. And so, but when you give the tip, you can't just say, hey, here is the extra 20% gratuity. You have to be subtle and indirect. So you pay your bill and then you call them back and say, hey, this is just something small because I really appreciate you. You know, don't think too much about it. Huh? And you're doing that process again and again and again. And it's frustrating because if you were to just say to someone, here is the money. So, for example, if you got into a cab and you said, what what cost is it to go to this place? It's 50 cities. If you gave them the money first, it would be seen as offensive because right. you're not letting me show you the value of service I can give you. Just wait. You uh, might want to give uh, me some more. And so you're always battling wow. between, you know, ideally you'd want to be like, let me just get this interaction done in a way that makes sense. And culturally, they're kind of like, yeah. let the interaction tell you what your next step is going to be. There's no knowing what's coming up. It's a very odd thing. <laughs> so I guess my first my first reaction to what you just said, the way that you describe the interaction, the way you describe the interaction at the restaurant or the cab driver, is how much in our community, in this community in Australia, essentially, but also when I lived in the states and when I, you know, my experience in in the UK and in Europe, how much we have used money to prevent us from having to make a personal connection with someone who is doing something for us, fucking feeding us, getting us from here to there, looking after our goddamn children, you know. I've given you this money so I know I don't have to have, no, there's money here. Because the money's here, I I don't have to connect with you emotionally whatsoever. I don't have to recognise your humanity. I don't even have to look you in the fucking eye. Here's a couple hundred bucks. Look after my kids. Whereas what you're describing is like, oh no no, I'm a I'm I'm a person. I'm, I'm a I'm, you know I've, I've there's things I love. I have a favorite film, a favorite color, uh, you know, a favorite thing to drink, and a favorite place to sit with my lover as I hold their hand. And I'm doing this for you instead of being with them right now. I'm helping you eat or helping you get from here to there. And I hope you appreciate that. You know, there's money, but I'm doing something for you in a personal way. And you know, it's shit like that. Flex that I think it's it's little tiny things like that that form, you know, this this the cracks that fuck up the rest of our community in Australia and, uh, and make us unable to see each other as humans sometimes, you know? Yes, because it felt like, and this would happen. Obviously, I'm I'm, I'm getting a different experience because when I go to Ghana, they can tell that I'm foreign, right? So yeah. there's a different kind of conversation that's happening here. But I often felt when I was interacting with people, they were giving me permission to humanize them. You know, whenever I would try to make something extremely transactional, get in or get out, somebody would stop me in my tracks and disrupt that. And it's very odd because my mum does the same thing. So my mum has been here in Australia for 40 years. And so for all intents and purposes, Australian, she's a citizen. But I I have distinct memories of when we'd go to department stores or the grocery store when we were younger, and let's say the checkout chick was just in a bit of a foul mood, right? 
didn't acknowledge us, didn't say hello, my mum would stop and say, hey, like, how are you going today? They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, oh, I was noticing because you don't really seem that happy. Like, is everything okay? You know, I know sometimes people just need someone to talk to. My name is Elizabeth, by the way. And I'd be like, mum, you're so embarrassing. (laughs) And she would just say, sometimes people just need a reminder that they, you know, not only are they responsible for how they feel, but they're projecting something. And often it's a cry for help. And she's like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not. But what if I'm right? What if they needed permission to break out of the funk? What if they needed permission to acknowledge it? I too am a person who's worthy of being acknowledged. And it took that cultural context of going to Ghana as an adult and having adult experiences separate from my preconceived bias of being like, well, I too am interacting with people and again, allowing money or context remove me or shield me from these opportunities to connect and see the world as more of a complex place than I'd allow it. Because why would we have a conversation? You're just driving me somewhere. It's like, no, you're driving me somewhere. You're taking me from here to there and I'm trusting you to make sure I arrive safely. And I remember when my mum would put me in cabs when we, you know, when we finish up for the day, she would say to the cab driver, get my daughter home safe, please. My daughter is in your hand. I'm trusting you and God's trusting you to my daughter. And I used to think it was excessive, but she would just say it's a fact. It's just a fact. And now he knows. And, you know, another part of me gets so mad that, we as a country, one of the many reasons that I feel we really need to decouple from, you know, Great Britain, uh, we've inherited this, the, the classism, it's not as bad as it is in the UK, but it is fucking bad here. And the idea that, oh, because this person does that job, I don't actually have to interact with them whatsoever. And again, when you leave Australia, uh, well, number one, Two things. Number one, you don't realize you've got a drinking problem until you leave Australia. And then number two, like, for example, when we went to Japan for the first time and when I went back actually with um, Audrey and G, just seeing the level of respect of like quite, you know, obviously powerful salarymen around us, the level of respect that these people had for the, the, the guy who was just sweeping rubbish off the train platform was fucking wild. Yeah. You know? And the person who's sweeping rubbish off the train platform is like, I'm the most important fucking person in here. Yeah, because, because of me, me, this place is spotless. I you guys that. have to walk through other people's shit. And I have so much respect for you. I'm going to clean this place. And, the, you know, these salary men and women who are walking, you know, to get to the train platform are like, fuck yeah, man. Without you, this place would be, thank fuck. Oh, we so grateful you're here. You could just see now whether it was a kata, a kata being a, a, a kind of routine that happens. There's a kata for everything there. Mm-hmm. We have like two. We have how we say hello to people, how we say goodbye to people. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Over there, there's, there's rules for everything. How you walk through a door. You know? mm. There was a moment when the the bullet train was pulling away from the platform and the conductor in the, the guard's carriage at the very, very end leaned out the, w- out the window, out the door, and he saluted every person on the platform. And Audrey started crying. And I got it. I'm like, he's just so fucking proud. That's like, I'm taking every one of these people home to their children. Mm. I'm fucking proud to do it. Not like, oh, another fucking day on the fucking job, pulling the fucking trains with these fucking pricks. You know? Like you get to choose how you show up, you know? Yeah. The train will still go, but you have to live with the experience of like, well, what are you there for? 
You know, your checkout chick. Is she just there going, boop, boop, boop? Or is she's like, every one of these things is going to sustain your children. I'm, help- <laughs> I'm, I'm making sure your family is fed right yes. now. Yes. You know? Gosh, isn't cultural context so beautiful? Because that's another thing that I really didn't understand that we were lacking, which is this culture of respect. And so, you know, in Ghanaian culture broadly, there's a hierarchical chain based on age in and outside of your family. I personally come from a matriarchy. And so the women are held to really high esteem. However, we still live in a patriarchal society. So, you know, it's odd. Like I, I, Whenever I go to Ghana, my mum is always so insistent that I go on these family meet and greets is what I would call them because she's yeah. like, it's important for me to present you to your extended family every time you come as a sign of respect yeah. to them that at one point they raised me, you know, with, with the wherewithal to raise you and now I'm bringing you back to show them what their effort has produced. Now, to me, right. I'm like, I don't know these people, <laughs> so I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah. And every now and then I'll go on these meet and greets and – I remember one time I went to my uncle's house and, you know, his, uh, so the immediate family got to sit, you know, on the couches, but his wife had to sit on a chair to the side because she's not part of the immediate family, right? Like she has his name, doesn't share his bloodline. And I always thought it was so strange because the amount of respect that our, like the community has for women is so high. And so she gets to sit on this pedestal in this room, but separate too. So in, in one yeah. way, he's like pedestalizing her. She's on a throne, but separate to us. And in, in, and um, I remember my mum would always remind me when we stepped off the plane, do not give or receive anything with your left hand. Do not make me remind you. And I'd be like, why is that again? Why is that again? She's like, in Ghanaian culture, your right hand is your sacred one. That is the one you eat with. It's the one you pass money with. It's the sacred hand. Your left hand is the dirty hand. That's the one you should be wiping your private parts with. And that is it. Don't do anything else with your left hand. So if you're giving someone money with your left hand, it is the utmost sign of disrespect. You cannot come back from that. You know, wow. when you're greeting people, when you walk into a room, you have to acknowledge people, whether it's a store, whether it's your house, you have to say hello every single time. And if you're walking into a space, you have to, uh, with like your extended family, you have to greet people from left to uh, from right to left every single time. And it's like, okay, I understand, but I'm freaking out and I'm stressed. But when everybody's doing it, there's this beautiful synergy of this like, yeah. like true like-mindedness. Because when yeah. you understand the reason, you're like, who am I to disrupt this? And the other thing, yeah. the, the beautiful thing about Ghana, the thing that I appreciate every, every time I go there is the power of a name. When people ask you for your name, it's not a social card, like you said. It's not like a, hey, what's your name? My name's Lil, let's continue. It's for them to categorize who you are before they get to know you. Your name tells everybody who you are as a person, what your soul says, and what you're destined for. I would get into, uh, I would walk into a space and like get my nails done, and they would say, what's your name? And I would say, Amma, which means I'm born on Saturday. And she'd be like, Oh, okay. Like I can see that. I'm a what? You know, and I would say it's hyphenated. So I'm a Ajiwa. And she's like, oh, okay. I can tell. I can tell. And so she's like, you must be um, really hard headed. You must be really stubborn, but you must, you know, really love your community. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there. 
And at one point I didn't know. And also my, um, my surname means the, it's a, a Henken, which means the son of a king, because my dad is the son of a king, right? And so when I would go to places, they'd be like, oh my goodness, you know, like you're on a Henken. I'm like, no, 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 it's just my dad. So again, you have all this cultural context and it's, and people are really stressed about what they name their kids because you're essentially writing their life path out. And if you don't take it seriously, you're destining them for a life of failure. And I was just like, I just thought a name was a name. Never, never. Now, as someone who's lived and worked under a number of different ones, I can tell you that it, uh, nominative determinism is a thing. Yeah, absolutely, a thing. I mean, you, you know, been on. You are known by different people by different names for different things, and it, it's kind of kind of interesting. I guess just you know to go back one step. What I love about the way you were talking about the culturally ingrained ritual of how you greet and acknowledging people when you come in a room, that it is a cultural expectation you would do that. It's built in that you understand you're a part of something bigger. It's built in that you are a part of a community. And therefore, somewhere in the back of your head, the opportunity to be kind of selfish or fuck you, you know, I'm going to, you know, you just fucking change lanes and not give a fuck. Kind of is like, well, actually, no, I'm a part of something here. And as someone who loves, I love my country so much, Flex, so fucking much. But, you know, like an alcoholic dad, you're like, I fucking love you, man. I just want you to be better. I want you to just get better, you know, because I love you and I can see this kind of destroying all of us with what's happening. You know, the idea that the the cultural expectations in our community are... to separate us and they're designed to keep us apart and people make a fucking heap of money being divisive and keeping us apart and separating us and that is shit and i like to I, I think it's important to try and you know just be aware of that and 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 trying there's there's no there's no downside to seeing yourself as something bigger you can still have individual success and huge individual success if you see yourself as something bigger but the idea is like, fuck you, no, it's all going to be mine and cut any of yours, fuck all of you. Like, uh, that's a lonely way to be at the end. And I totally understand as well because how, how do you separate yourself from what you've been socialised to be, what you've been programmed to be and what you've yeah. absorbed by just virtue of living? It's hard for an yeah. individual to change the course of everything and, and I think that's probably the fundamental fault with how we do things in Australia. It's hyper-individualism to a fault. And I am so sure at one point it serves us, it served us all to view ourselves as separate individual entities capable of making change on our own, in our own time, building our own communities. But we've seen that to maximum saturation. We know what that looks like for better or for worse. What does it look like to be part of a community? And in so many ways, I'm not quite sure because when I think of community in, well, my community in Sydney, I think of like my closest friends, right? My closest friends and family. And then I think of my extended friends and family. But what about the suburb I live in? What about my neighbours? What about the local businesses I go to? What responsibility, what obligation do I do I have for them? And can I do that in a way that isn't transactional? Can I just like almost like sew into something because I feel like it's necessary And I think it's a learning curve. You know, my mum, our house in Ghana, 
it's like a 10 bedroom house, right? When people hear that, they kind of think, oh, whoa, like she's a baller. And it's like, no, because it's a house that's so big because it's meant to house generations. Like it's, it's yeah, right. meant to house, you know, my grandma and my, my nephews and my nieces and my aunties and my uncles. It's, it's meant to be an ecosystem. And when I go mm. there now, you know, because my family is like, you know, family stuff. And so there are other families who live there with my mum, but they've become family. So, you know, when it's Christmas time and it's time to eat well, we're making food as a family. When my mum is feeling unwell, it's the amazing woman downstairs. She's like, okay, let me make you some a steam bath. Let me make you some soup. Oh, someone's going to work. Just bring your kids up here. It's chill. Everybody feels responsible. I could, it's so hard to even be a part of that ecosystem because, you know, it's times like I remember I had my washing outside because I planned to do it. And an amazing woman next door was like, I'm just doing washing. So I did yours. Like it was too easy. <laughs> I didn't even know what to do with myself. And then part of me yeah. felt guilty because I was yeah. like, do I owe you something? Do I have to do something yeah. in return? Am I now indebted to you? I couldn't fathom that. I'm like, no, now you've given me the burden of reciprocity. You know, I didn't ask for this, but now I feel like I have to do something in return for me to be entitled to this goodness that you did. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's so, I, I love that you, and, and, and you know what? It's the Australian in you that struggles. Mm-hmm. It's that, that's, that's the cultural in, in, indoctrination of, of this, you know, post-Protestant, Protestant, Catholic, I don't know what the fuck it is, you know, fight of, of guilt and, you know, scarcity and, you know, uh, classism and separation that has made you struggle. Whereas the other person is like, well, of course, I'm turning the machine on. I'm going to use the water anyway. I've got room. It's literally nothing for me to do. Don't even worry about it. No, you don't owe me shit. It's fine. In fact, I feel better for it. I'm, I'm And if there's one thing I've, you know, being in recovery has taught me, and this is the thing about the, the recovery community, is that the sort of stuff that you're describing, those acts of service, mm. um, they are built, they're built into it. There is no recovery without acts of service. And I remember early getting told early on, if it's convenient, it doesn't count. Oof. You know, it's got to, yeah, right? Oof. <laughs> you, you actually have to put yourself out for another person. Mm. Well, but why? It's because, you know, uh, addiction is a selfish disease and, it is, you know, the first 10 minutes, like the first 10 minutes of any workout or run. It's like, what the fuck? Why? Fuck, what a stupid idea. Fucking who thought it was a good idea to get out of this bed? This day, I'm hot, sweating. Like a, you know, half an hour later, you're like, this is the best. I'm so grateful I did this today. And that switch is what you're looking for. Yes. Yeah, I'm forced into that because of, you know, what happened to me. To live in a country where that, that is just like a in life and programmed in, it's part of the OS. Man, and it's not the only culture in the world no, that does that. And it really isn't. It, it's, it's, you know, but we can all take control of that. We can all do a part of that in our, in our day. Just a moment away from Flex Money to let you know that uh, I'd love to see you at the show uh, this Friday in Sydney at the Factory Theatre in Melbourne at the Malthouse Theatre. Tickets are in the show notes. We, just, we start on the 30th of March. I just locked in an absolute weapon of the news game for our March 30 show as our special guest. And I'm very, very excited that they are going to be able to make it. Uh, I think we have the Monday off, the 3rd of April. But other than that, we're there 10 nights in a row. It's going to be sick. I'd love to see you there. If you do like what you hear and you, you want to find out kind of more about getting around the shows that I'm doing and, you know, other bits and pieces that I'm after, I'd love to have you on the mailing list. The link to sign up is in the show notes as well. We're back in a minute uh, with Flex Mummy. 
after I play some ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You've mentioned it twice now. I do have to ask because I've just been, you know, it's many parallels between what's just happened across our summer. Um, we went back to Fiji for the first time in three years to go. Audrey's from Fiji. Um, she grew up there, heaps of family there. It was like an enormous, like, oh, flakes. Like we went to, there was a, one of our, Audrey's cousins got married. There were the island where the wedding was on got power eight weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Never, never again in my life am I going to interact with little kids who are playing with Wolfie who have never touched a phone. Mm. It's never actually going to happen again, ever. And here I was playing with these kids who, you know, it was fucking amazing. But there was a lot of, you know, that kind of ritual and tradition. And, and we, we weren't able to take Wolfie up to see the village because it was to take Wolfie back to the village to present to the family to go. I can't remember that. That translates directly to show the face yeah. like you exactly as you described to take the grandchild back and go see here. It, here this is look you what know, you've done. <laughs> look what you have done. It's on you've created it and it's passed through here and it, it it's a beautiful thing that connects you know people across generations but the one thing that was um, like fiji fucking ruined me ruined me because i'll never be able to eat another papaya pineapple banana or plantain again <laughs> ever ever <laughs> whatever i was eating here mm-hmm. It's like this. Does not compare. <laughs> it, it, it's it's like honestly, you know what it's, it's like. It's like looking iron. at a video. It's cool. It's like looking at a looking at a skiing video on my phone. Going, that was an excellent trip. <laughs> I feel like no, like the bananas that I get at the supermarket. That's not a banana. I don't know what the fuck it is. Because let me the papaya that I was eating. It was as if you typed into um, you know uh, Mid Journey uh, the sweetest tropical fruit you've ever had that is a transcendent experience that will turn on parts of your brain that you've never experienced before. And then you eat it and go, this is clearly made by AI because there's no <laughs> way that's on the- Nothing that this can't possibly be real. <laughs> Holy fuck. And the jackfruit curry up in Lombasa where we were, Jesus. So talk to me about the food. Talk to me about the Ghanaian food. <sighs> okay. I will say it's most comparable to, I want to say perhaps 
Mm, Jamaican food. So a lot of rices, a lot of protein, a lot of like heavy stews, sauces, very like Moorish food, right? Um, Mm. And a lot of a lot of oil, a lot of oil. Everything is. We're we're talking dinners. Dinner is getting cooked at seven a.m. That kind of long, slow cooking. Well, not no. Every meal is getting cooked at a reasonable meal time. So breakfast is getting cooked hot at like six a.m. Lunch is cooked fresh. Every, snacks uh-huh. are cooked fresh. Everything is Got cooked it. fresh, but it's either steamed, boiled, deep fried, or like made with a kilo of palm oil. So it's sitting heavy. It's sitting heavy. Um, but it's fantastic because I don't think that unless I'm in Ghana, I don't think that I'm eating a home cooked meal for every meal. <laughs> because when you go to yeah. a restaurant, it's a home cooked meal. When yeah, you order a stew, Someone's going to make that stew from scratch and you're going to wait for an hour and a half uh-huh. every time, every time. Yeah, right. And there's just something about knowing, like, honestly, TMI maybe, but, you know, the bowel movements were moving beautifully, just everything. I was like, this is this is the way my body's meant to function. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's the right amount that, that, that they figured it out, you know, like the way that these traditional, you know, culturally cultural plates were, it was like, that's about the right amount of fiber yeah. we're going to need to move the rest of that through. It's coming through. Otherwise, it doesn't work. <laughs> but it was just incredible. And then, as as you said, the fruit, you know, like these beautiful, like gorgeous bananas, this amazing apple, mango, oranges, pineapple. And what I love the most is when you're walking, you know, not even in a market, just down the street or you're on a highway, there'll be these, um, these women who are selling different wares, fruits, stews on their head. And you'll be like, oh, I want a, I want an orange. And they'll peel it for you and they'll dice it for you and they'll cut it up for you. And like, this is, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I need. And it's the greatest orange <sighs> you've ever eaten in your so life, right? So sweet, so juicy, just euphoric. It's the best and worst thing about being exposed to something like that because, you know, what I've been really struggling with is every time I come back, I'm so convinced that I can bottle up these feelings and, and translate these experience, those experiences locally, right? I'm like, no, I'm going to eat a piece of fruit and it's going to feel just as good. Or I'm going to go for a walk and look at a building and feel so grateful and have so much gratitude that someone could use their bare hands to build something that's going to house people. And I slowly just feel it dissipating. I'm like, what is that? What is that? Why can't I just hold on to it? And it's not enough to just want it. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's geographical spirituality. <laughs> it takes effort. It takes effort, but you can, you know, you can see in everything. Like I'm, I'm in my studio in my house, right? And if I look around and I, you know, every single object in this room is the product of thousands of hours of someone's work and passion and creation, and I can't do my job without that. I'm sitting in a room of hundreds of people's life's work, and I just take it for granted every day. Literally, you know? like we get it's, paid to do it. it. <laughs> Absolutely bananas. As you, um, uh, we're speaking in early February, so late January has just rolled past. And late, late January for, for many people in our country is a difficult time mm. uh, because it brings up some pretty tricky conversations about uh, history, essentially, and that we are uh, a product, that country it in, indeed is a product of, of an ongoing thing that's pretty fucked for a lot of people. And growing up, in Australia, you so said your mum came here 40 years ago. I'm kind of fascinated. Like I, grew, I grew up in Queensland now, uh, and I've said this on the show before, we should never forget that 
South African apartheid was based on the Queensland racial separation laws. Okay, they went, oh, fuck, you guys get away with that? Hmm, that sounds like a good idea for a country. And away they went. Yeah. And that's, that is what I grew up in. I grew up in Queensland. And the legacy of that continued. And, and the fact that I just didn't see people who weren't white in Brisbane, even though, you know, occasionally it would, if you looked in certain parts of the city, mm. but you just didn't see it. The conversation publicly, culturally, and pop culture, there was never anyone that wasn't white if they weren't the butt of a joke. Growing up in Australia with quite obviously not white skin, what did the end of January kind of mean to you? And when did you start to understand? I mean, because it didn't become a national holiday till 1994. So you, you would I was have, born you know, in 1994, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were already around when it became a national holiday. Yeah. As you grow up and you started to see that kind of thing galvanised, what, what, what was it like for you? Well, I, I don't think I even reconciled or understood until maybe when I was 18 or so because I grew up in Sydney's East for context and it was quite multicultural but still, you know, extremely whitewashed. You know, when we learnt about history, it was in a very um, glamorised way, a very stylized way. You know, you, you get the key dates and the key times but you don't really get the details that really contextualises the horrific nature of what really happened. And I guess what frustrated me is that it is really, it's heartbreaking and uncomfortable to understand that something that is man-made, right, like this concept of, of race and, and separating based on skin colour can do so much damage, can do so much historically documented damage, factual damage, and still be looked at to be a bit of a myth and it's funny because, you know, like I'm African, right? So I, I'm like, I know, like I know where I came from. I'm just Ghanaian. Like my whole lineage is there. So this narrative about, you know, displacement and slavery and it's learned. Like I learned it from an African-American context. I learned it from an Indigenous Australian context. And I'm like, if we're living on this land with people who are still alive to tell these stories and people are in denial, when do we get to the practical conversations about modern day interpretations of, of how this is impacting us now? That is what really, really spooks me. And, and, and I remember about three years ago, I used to have this podcast called Bobo and Flex and I ran it with another African woman who's from South Africa, but based in New York. And we used to have these cross-cultural conversations about just being black women, right? And, you know, she would lead with, you know, her understanding of what it is, is to be a black woman in Australia. And she's like, oh, I heard, you know, there's some crazy stuff happening with your Indigenous community and vice versa. And very quickly that podcast blew up because every week we talk about race in the context of love, race in the context of dating, race in the context of identity. And every week we'd realise that our lived experience was so dissimilar and we ended up building a predominantly white audience, like a white Australian audience at its peak, maybe 5 million downloads. And every week we would have these really gruelling, you know, you know, crack open the sternum conversations about internalised racism, internalised misogynoir, this, um, you know, fundamental understanding of what, you know, our Indigenous communities are going through, but separate in a way where it's like, I can't even pretend to understand what that is like now. 
and then have an audience who would consume that as almost entertainment. This proximity to the story felt like enough. And I'm like, no, you're still not getting it. This is not like story time. This is heartbreaking. This is this is not yeah. meant to educate you for water cooler talk. You're meant to feel a bit of shame about this. You're meant to feel a bit of guilt about this. You're meant to feel something about it. You're not just meant to consume it like you consume Spotify. You're not just meant to consume it like you consume your daily TikTok scroll. And we did that for two years and then stopped with no warning. And I remember having a conversation with someone about maybe three months ago and they're like, why did you stop? And I was like, I cannot, you cannot, you can't explain what is meant to be understood. I don't have the capacity, you know, I don't have the ability to, to like give you the words and to tell an emotional enough story for you to even conceptualize what goes on. Like, I feel like when people look, think about displacement or racism or slavery or stolen generation, they think of it like it's a movie. Like, oh no, kids were just taken. Oh no, people were just shackled. Babes, what are you talking about? There were human zoos. People were taught, like, I don't understand what you don't understand. And it becomes a really frustrating conversation because we, it's like a stalemate every single time. And you don't want to be the person who is pushing guilt like it's a little treat. Like, here, feel something, feel something, feel something. But it does make me concerned about what capacity we have to actually push the dial forward in a way that's going to incite real change because behind the mainstream conversations, you have people who have understood all the right verbiage to project a progressive person, right? You know to call it invasion day. You you know to say that someone is um, black and not coloured unless they're from South Africa. You know it's in you know it's offensive to ask someone where they're from, whatever it might be. But that's where it stops. You know, it just becomes this superficial projection of like, I get it. You know, like don't 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 make it weird. I get it. I, I don't want to hear it. And like these are real stories and real people. And it still happens now. And everyone's like, that was ages ago. That's today. That's it's not, to- it's not ages ago. It's today. It's not, it's like, it's right now. It's right now. It is absolutely right now. And it, in some ways, Flex, I see it almost as the conversation around climate action and around how much needs to get, um, you know, done and how fucking fast it needs to get done because it's not my fucking fault. I'm fucking, you know, I just got, well, I, I fucking, I still need to get from here to there. I want to take my fucking car away. Exactly. Fucking, uh, it's like, yeah, it's okay. There's a system involved. You had nothing to do with the system. You're an unwilling participant in the system. In fact, you're a victim of the system because you've been, there's no, you know, you have been unable to, in some cases it's been illegal to do anything else. And it's shit that you've been put in this situation. So let's fucking try and figure out so it's a bit better for you. And, and, you know, similarly when it comes to the conversation around, uh, you know, Indigenous Australia and, you know, sovereignty and, you know, land rights and equity, just fucking equity in the context of our community. It's it's got so much, oh, I had nothing to do with it. Oh, I can fucking get on with it. I can't get on with it. Oh, yeah, what are you going to give them fucking, where do you give them your house? Give them your fucking house. Mm. So you fucking like it. Like, so defensive. No. That's, that's, you know, that's, it is, it is in the recognition of the, of the humanity that has to be the place we start. 
And I understand the fear of implicating oneself, you know, when you have to say, oh, wait, like if I am able to say my, the house that I bought is on land that was never ceded, then I'm, then I'm implicated in this conversation and now I'm responsible. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, but you're also not alone. There's millions of us, like millions of us who are implicit, babe, and complicit. So if we just start yeah. there as a baseline, but again, it goes yep. back to the hyper-individualism thing because people can't mm. fathom that we got to do it together. They're like, no, but if I say that it's my fault, then it's all on me and I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Like I've got to, I've got to work. And like, and it's like, no, 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 mm. together, together yeah, as a community. Yeah. <laughs> we all have to work. We all have to get through it. We all got to do the school run. We all got, we've all got to go and buy things that aren't actually bananas, but say they are at the shops. We all got to get that done. <laughs> We do. Justice for the GMO bananas. (laughs) I tell you what, man, there's this, a fuck, it's completely a wild and a complete aside, but there's an amazing book called How We Got to Now. And it highlights like seven things that are the reason that the modern world exists. And it's mind blowing. I love it. But bananas are a huge part, a huge part of how the modern world exists. I've seen a real banana. I don't, they're not giving, they're spooky. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, um, you know, refrigeration uh, got involved like that. It's like all that without, What about you know, preservatives? It's, it's, that. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. just well, being able to stabilize food in different temperatures. It's amazing. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. It's an amazing book. Uh, but yeah, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. And yeah, bananas. Once you and we, Audrey's uh, one of Audrey's cousins has a farm in Fiji. And um, flax. I know we're talking about it again, but like, I was trudging around in a pair of gumboots, picking breadfruit off a tree, getting a plantain from a palm, you know, grabbing some bongo chilies off a plant in the morning and that's what we were eating for dinner yeah. that night. And like Jeez. once you once you've had a once you've eaten a plantain that has grown in the in the tropical sun out of, you know, just kind of volcanic earth and you know, fried. Uh, <laughs> also that. You go I know the ads tell me that this particular thing from this particular drive-through fast food chain is the most delicious thing ever. It isn't. Because that thing over there is, it's got it's got three ingredients. It's got plantain oil and salt. That's and that's it. You don't need anything more. And it's fucking amazing. Uh, it's it's just fucking amazing. How do we uh, make I, that our new normal? Because you know, staying here, yeah. it's sucking the life out of us physically, spiritually. <laughs> financially, mentally, emotionally, and then we get these little these little nuggets of bliss, these little nuggets of nirvana, no. and then we we come back and we're like, that was amazing. It's like, let's go over there all the time. You can start with, honestly, anyone, and because they're a rugged, and they are what they are because they are what they are, anyone can grow a tomato in your house, mm. right? Just grow a tomato. They're a rugged, bloody plant. Give them enough sun, give them enough water, and leave them on the vine. Put them on your window, on the shelf of your window, but in your kitchen, let them get enough sun. And you'll be able to pick that thing like three weeks before it was picked when it sits in your supermarket. You'll be able to pick it when it's a shade of red that is like so, like a, like a Jenny Key jumper. You're like, this doesn't exist. <laughs> and then when you eat that, that's a deep cut if anyone wants to go back <laughs> to the history of Australian, Australian that fashion. That is a deep cut. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny, Jenny Key. Shout out Jenny fucking- Key. <laughs> Boss lady, boss, boss. 
you're going to eat that tomato and it might be just a part of the rest of your meal, but you're going to eat that tomato and you are going to have like three minutes of mindfulness meditation because your mouth is just so alive with sensation and presence. You won't be able to think of anything else. You mm. won't be able to, like you're watching NCIS or whatever. You're like, I don't, sorry, I don't care about, you know, to dust for prints. Like this is unbelievable. And it is through the connection of, you know, it's what we were speaking about before. That's how you can access that stuff here in an urban environment. Connecting to we source. Couple, we, we do. We have a little couple, couple of meds out the front. And the other day I just went out there to the pair of sisters and grabbed some lettuce here and grabbed a couple of tomatoes and threw them in a salad. And yeah, that is a thing that you can, you can meditate with your mouth. You mm. really can. And that, that's, how, that's how we can find it. I love our food supply. I'm grateful for the food oh. security of the current country. I'm going to take Trust it me. over the UK and the US any day. Any day. Any day. But that, that, is, that, is, that is one way to get it. That is one way to get it. And another way, honestly, Flex, I look at Wolfie, he'll just look at a tree with me and we'll look at leaves. For I'm ages. a tree girl too. I'm a tree girl. Yeah. I'm more of a tree girl than an ocean girl because I get it. I love looking at yeah. a tree. I'm like, look at this. Yeah. It has seen yeah. so much. Maybe. So maybe that's our challenge this week. Mm. Eat a tomato, look at a tree, yes. and surprise someone who's just doing a transactional geek for you. <laughs> surprise someone by doing a, uh, what's her name, Elizabeth? Yeah, Elizabeth. Your mum? Yeah. What would Liz do? Yeah, you know? what, would Liz yourself, do? what would Liz do? And have a moment and have a, just a brief moment of connection and recognise the person on the other side of the, the monetary transaction because ultimately you're letting that money separate you from the rest of the world and, and loneliness is fucked, all right? Loneliness is fucking fucked. So, yeah, have that. Maybe that's our maybe that's challenge this week. That can be the theme of go. 2023, interdependence and interconnectedness. That's what I'm Voila. excited about. And you, well, you We know, need each other. We really You've do. You've got a merch label. Get that on a flat app. <laughs> Get that on a fucking snapback instantly. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Get that on a snapback <laughs> instantly. Uh, Black, you are such a gem for coming on the show. I'm, I'm so grateful that, uh, you know what? I want to, it was a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about, but ultimately, like, what we spoke about was so much more wonderful than what I had planned to speak to you about. And I, I just certainly hope that people got out of this conversation what I got out of this conversation. And you're just the best. And and, and thank you for being you. You're amazing. Thanks, H. Thank you. It really is awesome to be able to like share thoughts with someone who is receptive and objective and excited just about learning and just about sharing enough about you so I can have context for you as well. It's really, it's just like, this was not a transaction. This was like a mutually beneficial opportunity to get to know a person in a way that I've never known you before. Well, I hope that other people felt that as well. And that is the, while it is a psychosocial relationship with podcasts, because I certainly have podcast friends that don't know they're my best friends. <laughs> I, I certainly, <laughs> I, you know, talking to you, Andrew Huberman, I, I, <laughs> We're all Huberman's best I, friends. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, do I want to see Huberman's skate videos from when he was 14 in his baggy shorts? Oh, yes, I do. Thank you. Oh, yes, Thank I do you. very much. <laughs> I want to see how hot that guy was before he was powerlifting. Skinny Huberman, skated Huberman. That was Flex Mummy. She's the best. You can find her where you find people that you follow online. Follow her however you like. Follow her Instagram. Follow her podcast. Follow the radio show that she makes. Follow the books she's written. Just, she's awesome. And the voice she has is a very important voice in our country. And I'm really grateful that she chose 
us to have a chat to. Twice now. It's not bad. Thanks to everyone that helped me make the show today. Mike Mills, who made all the music. Andy Marr on audio and video post-production for cutting out the sound of my autocue foot switch. There it is. There it is again. Bree Steele on research and support. Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of The Lot of the Everything. I'll see you on Friday at the Factory Theatre, 7 o'clock. Tickets in the show notes. Melbourne, coming for you. Get around it. People come every week. It's never the same show twice. We'd love to have you there. We're building something big. It's going off. It's seditious. It's live. It's dangerous. It's fun. And I'd love to be a part of it. I'll see you at the show. 